we are starting this new theme uh, for 2020 called New Humanity. And it's based on this text in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15. And today, in case you've missed some of the introduction last week, we're going to be going through this again because it's a very rich, a theologically deep passage in Scripture. And we're going to be just taking a, a second look at how we might travel deeper with God in it. Um, so first of all, I'll read the passage. We'll get into some of the, uh, the details behind the issues. The first question that we're looking at is, how did Christ create peace for the early church? And then the second question that we're going to be asking is, how might Christ create peace for you and for me in our day and age today? Now, that's a huge question. Um, I'm going to attempt to draw some lines today because I can't answer that completely, but we have 2020 to get into. That's, this is what the theme is all about, right? So uh, I'll be drawing some lines for us to think about and some challenges and invitations at the end of today for us to move forward. Um, but let's pray. Let's seek God together, and let's ask uh, for God's guidance. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning. Thank you so much for the things that we were able to celebrate through song, through new staff, through this pledge. And, and as we enter into this time of looking deep, deeper into your word, I pray for your guidance. We ask for your Holy Spirit to move, convict, encourage, to reveal, to help us to move toward the fuller life that you've promised. We pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And just, uh, just a note, I, I'm using a mic. I'm still recovering from my cold. I'm not contagious anymore, so I can be friendlier this week. I'm just, if I start coughing, I'm going to pull this away so I don't annoy you. Um, so let me give a word of context uh, for how we enter into Ephesians. And this is kind of like the setup for the book in case you missed it last time. There's... A, a very strong, like, theological introduction to the book. So the first several chapters of the book are very high concept, high idea, deep and rich in theology. And some of us really love that type of thinking and that kind of development. The next half of the book is extremely practical. It's very much real life. As Paul writes the letter, he moves from these ideas and begins to apply them um, very focused into the way people are living, from their marriages to their business relationships to how they, they have, you know, from their, um, their sexual appetite to their, their drinking habits, you know. So Paul is doing, like, all of this stuff. And we're not going to get to all of that, but we're going to point the way there because this, this uh, book is kind of bigger than what I can talk about today. So J.I. Packer is an author a theologian, he wrote this book called Knowing God like ages ago. Maybe some of you have read it before. In the introduction to his book, he makes this contrast between two different types of people who know God. And the first type of knowing, the way of knowing God, are what he calls balconiers. Okay, I don't know if that's a made-up word, you know, but I couldn't really find it. Um, balconiers are people who live on the balcony. They live in their ivory tower, and once in a while, they kind of peek out from the balcony, and they look down at everybody else, and they make their observations about how life is going, and, and they make their prescriptions. They, they look at life from afar. The second type of people who know God are the travelers. They're the people who are actually on the road, 
who are making real life decisions, whether to turn left or to turn right at the fork in the road, what kind of things they should be wearing, how they should be going. They're making real life decisions. And I want to say that all of this is important for us to understand because the way that we imagine the spiritual life um, here at Access is very much in the vein of the traveler. So even though some of the ideas that we're going to cover in the first half of the message today are a bit historical and cultural, the movement and the direction of where we're headed is real-life traveling. So that's some of the context I just want to give you today as we enter into the text. So here we go, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. Therefore, remember that formerly... You who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. That's our phrase. That's our theme for the year. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So, this is really interesting. This, the way that the early church worked it was it was a collection of people from very different walks of life. And all of a sudden, these strangers, these foreigners, these former enemies were now together as one church. They were sitting together on Sundays. They were worshiping God together. They were going to Bible studies and small groups together. They were one church. And this was awkward at moments, sometimes very threatening. And so the early letters had to deal with this dynamic and had to talk about their oneness in Christ. Now, this is a very different setup than what we have in our modern contemporary sort of Christian expression here in the United States. Here in the United States, there's all kinds of churches, you know. There's churches for young people. There's churches for older folks. There are churches for specific ethnic groups. There are large churches. There are small churches. You get all kinds of varieties of churches, and, you know, uh, if you've ever driven on I-45, there's this interesting cowboy church. Uh, I've always been intrigued by that, driving by. I kind of want to check it out. I know I'll stand out <laughs> like a sore thumb if I ever attended, but, I, I, but, you know, these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. I've just thought, yeah, it'd be kind of cool to go to a cowboy church. Um, but here's the deal with, and I'm not saying this is bad, this is sort of our expression here in America, but... Here's the thing. If you don't like somebody in your current church setup, you don't have to go to church with them anymore. That's kind of a negative. Um, This is a good thing 
to have a lot of churches. It's, it means that more people are attending than ever before. But at the same time, we've lost something that's very important. We've lost a way of being with one another, of learning to cross hard relationship boundaries, of learning to be new humans. And this is what the series is getting at. This is what Ephesians is talking about. Good, but we've lost something along the way. And the vision behind this, this theme and this teaching is really to try to regain some of what we lost. This ability that is innate in us because the Holy Spirit resides in us, this ability to cross barriers and to forge new relationships, even those that are very uncomfortable for us. So let me dive into some of the details behind how did Christ bring peace to the early church? Now, the early church dealt with a very big divide between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And if you're not very churched or, you know, have gone to church for a long time, this might be a very new language for you. So I want to just take a few moments this morning to explain what this meant and what this really looked like in practical everyday life for them. So to explain the Jewish side of things, there were Jewish Christians. These were most of the Christians in the early church. Um, and they had the Hebrew scriptures. Now, the Bible tells us that in the beginning, God created the world. He made human beings, and we were created in the image of God. Now, early on in the story, we rebelled against God. Sin and death entered into the picture. Evil became the new reality, and creation was corrupted. So the good and um, good intentions of God within us were corrupted and twisted, and we human beings keep moving towards sin and death. Along the way, God chose a couple named Abraham and Sarah to have a child. Now, at the time, they were childless, and he gave them a covenant, which is also a promise, that through them, the whole world would be blessed. The whole world was going to be receiving this blessing, and they would know God because of this couple, which was a, a huge, huge promise for a couple that couldn't have kids. This was the beginning of the Jewish story. This is where they got their origin. It was with Abraham and Sarah. Now, along the way, because of this promise, they did eventually have children because of God's blessings. This covenant uh, took on more things. Because of sin, and because sin kind of kept moving people in the wrong direction with the covenant, God introduced the law. And through Moses you know, Ten Commandments and all that good stuff, God introduced a whole set of laws to kind of keep his people in check. The law was given as a guardian to help people from moving more disastrously into a life of sin. So here in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, we get a little bit of explanation, right? So the law was given, the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now, long theological explanation with all these things, but um, that's why Abraham, Sarah, and Moses, I found this interesting graphic that had all three of them at the same time. Um, but that's kind of the Jewish story. Now, even though they had these things, the law wasn't the purpose of the relationship. I mean, God didn't give the law because 
This was the end-all, be-all for everything. It was a way to guide us into good things and to keep us away from bad things. But along the way, sinful human beings began to twist the law and change the law. So it distorted the way they saw the rest of the world. Now, God's intention through Abraham was to bless all people, but they began to look at the rest of the world with suspicion, with fear, and even with pride. And so this is a prayer that was part of the daily Jewish ritual that men were meant to pray, part of their three prayers in the morning. Um, and I kind of grayed that out because it was distorted, right? So here, here's the prayer. It's a little offensive. Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Now, to be fair, this is not something that most Jewish people pray today. This is not like something that they celebrate. This was actually, in terms of its root, it's, it's not even from the Bible. Uh, a lot of them actually take this from Greek philosophy, and they kind of adapted this prayer. But because, like I was saying, sin distorted a lot of things, it distorted the way they saw the law and the covenant, and they looked down at other people, including their Gentile neighbor, Gentile non-Jew, and a lot of other folks, too. So this was like the distorted Jewish way of moving into their religion. And you could see why people were offended, right? Now, on the other side of the coin, right, there was the Gentile side of the church, the non-Jewish side of the church. And this is going to be a broad generalization because non-Gentile means, you know, everybody else, which is a lot of people. Um, but I, I I'll pick on one group in particular because a lot of them had influence over the early church. They were the Romans. The Romans started coming to Jesus too. And the Romans had a difficult time with the Jews. Actually, a lot of people had a difficult time with the Jews because they would not assimilate. So when the, when the ancient Babylonians conquered them or when the Greeks conquered them and the Romans conquered them, they wouldn't assimilate and take on those cultures like everybody else. And so they were like a thorn in the side for a lot of these other empires. And the Romans had a very difficult time with them. This anti-Jewish sentiment was kind of pervasive. We know it now as anti-Semitism when we think of Hitler and the Holocaust and all of that. But when you look throughout history, anti-Semitism actually had its roots in ancient Babylonia. And even in Rome, there were edicts that said, you know, the Jews are not allowed in Rome and that sort of thing. So very tense relationship. And this kind of sums some of that up. When the Rome, Romans came to destroy Jerusalem, this, this, was, what, this was what it was like. So you can see there was a lot of tension between Romans, Gentiles, and Jewish believers. And even if this wasn't you, this was your people. These were like your cousins, your aunts, and your uncles. And now, all of a sudden, you were in church together, sitting with people who were foreigners, strangers, former enemies. But you were one. In Christ. And Paul was telling them this. You are one new humanity. Man, this was revolutionary. This was a game changer. This was changing everything. So, I put this here. They were one new church, a faith village. There were Jews and Gentiles calling each other brother and sister. And they were starting a new life together. 
So graphically, I'm going to try and this is this is how the reasoning of Ephesians runs. This new humanity is your new identity. This is what Jesus did for you. And this, it is more important that you are in Christ than it is being Jewish, than it is being a Roman, than it is being male or female or a slave or free or all your other allegiances. It is more important that you are part of this thing in Christ, which is summed up in this phrase, new humanity, than it is all these other identities. And this was the brand new teaching of the church. This was huge. Now, this has a lot of implications for us today. The second kind of question that we're running into today is, how might Christ bring peace in our lives today? So in our lives, you know, the whole Jewish-Gentile thing is, you know, I, I don't think about that very often other than reading scripture, but it's not like we deal with that on a day-to-day -day basis. This is not our struggle here at Access. I mean, there may be some of you here with some Jewish roots, um, but primarily here in America today, we struggle with other things. We struggle with things like race very deeply. You know, here in Texas, you know, like in El Paso just last fall, we had a shooting uh, in which a, uh, a person went on purpose to El Paso to shoot Hispanic people. You know, I, I, I read an article about it in USA Today uh, and that talked about that, uh, that horrible incident. And actually, it, it talked about um, the statistics from the Southern Poverty Law Center I talked about the rise of hate groups along with this, that from 2015 to 2018, there has been a rise in the number of hate groups in the United States of about 14%, from some 850 number to over 1,000. I'm like, I think, really? Because, you know, in, in my thinking, there, you know, the, it's, it's so wrong to be a, a racist today. You know, that's like, you know, so obviously wrong. But there are groups that are banding together because this is, this is what they feel threatened by. This is their identity. Then there's politics. And we all know how fragile political conversations are today. You know, uh, you may identify as left or right, Democrat or Republican, independent or progressive, whatever you might be. But political conversations are very difficult today because everybody gets triggered and angry. And it's just hard to have a rational conversation. So. Here's my summary of how a lot of political conversations go, right? It goes like this. You believe in that? Well, you're an idiot. <laughs> well, you believe in that? You're an idiot, right? So there's no intellectual conversation. There's no back and forth. It's just you're an idiot for believing that. And that's the end of the story. Nobody wants to really talk because everyone's so angry and upset about all their different politics. And we're going to see this play out in 2020 a lot more. Um, but what would it mean to be a church that crossed those lines where race and politics and here's a bunch of other things, the environment or talking about refugees and immigration or sexuality, all these different topics that divide people. What if we could find a way in which our identity in Christ superseded those things so that we could talk about it and relate in a different way. 
that these things would become secondary to our primary belonging, which is in Jesus Christ as a new humanity. You know, last year when we had our church retreat, this is really interesting because our, our church retreat was called Sacred Stories, and we had a time to share about our, our faith journeys as well as our racial stories. And after the retreat was over, somebody uh, kind of commented to me uh, and gave me just a word of thanks. I mean, this was on behalf of the whole church, really, because he said, we can't have these conversations anywhere. This was from someone who was new to Access who, to my, the best of my knowledge, was not uh, a Christian, but said, you know, thank you. Thank you for doing this, because I can't talk about this anywhere else. And I found that to be so refreshing, because that, that's what we're trying to aim for here as a faith village. This is what we're trying to do. Our new humanity in Christ. So this is the first line of where I want to draw our application. It is learning to live into our new identity in Christ. Now, how does one actually do that in a very practical way? I was racking my brains out about that because I know I am an Enneagram 4. Identity comes very naturally to me. I talk about identity a lot because that's my wiring. And I've realized through formation groups that other people, like, it's like a really hard conversation to have about identity. Um, uh, but this is my first application for today, right? It's about identity. So um, it is kind of on all of us here to begin talking about how do we live into our identity in Christ. See, one of the things that you're going to discover as you begin to make this more solid, solidly you, like you as a Christian, you as a follower of Jesus, you as a, a faith person, is that once you begin to have this, God's going to reveal more and more things about your calling, about who you are, because you're aligned with his way, with his spirit. Um, this is kind of the way that Ephesians works. Let me see if I, I don't know if I did a slide here for that. Yeah, I didn't. Um, so Ephesians kind of argues this way. Once you know your identity in Christ, like chapter 5 begins saying like, you know, you're a married couple. Husbands, you can actually lay your life down for your wife. You can give that up. And he's not saying that just as a moral, you should do that. He's saying that because you are a new human. You are in Christ. You can give up your way so that she can be holy. And he says this to wives. You can submit to your husband, not because you're losing power, but because you love your husband. It's a new kind of ethic. And this is radical. He says this in other parts of Ephesians, you know, to slaves and to masters, to fathers and sons, to, to those who are drinking. Don't get drunk. You are a new human. You don't need to, to find your pleasure in alcohol and losing yourself in that way anymore. There is something much better in the spirit. This is now who you are. You don't have to practice sex the way that you have been. Sexual immorality doesn't have to be your way. You are a new human. These are the arguments, and this is the way that the identity begins to shape the way people live. Now, um, we'll make this as a follow-up conversation as we go from here, but this is my first kind of thread and line for, for thinking. The second thing is this. It's regarding hostility. 
how might Christ help you put down hostility? In the verses that we read today, he himself is our peace, who, who made the two groups one and has destroyed the, the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So how did Christ do this? Now, Christ did this because he died on the cross. He put to death sin, he put to the grave sin and death and the forces of evil. And by rising to new life, he invites all of us to begin in this new creation work with him. We are given this new chance to live in new creation with him. This is the, the new humanity. But by dying on the cross, this is what the, the argumentation is all about, he put to death their hostility. This is really significant. Because I find that one of the reasons why we still don't get along is because we harbor a lot of hostility toward other people. And hostility is interesting. It doesn't always come up right away. But sometimes, yeah, have you ever noticed people just lose it all of a sudden? You get angry, you're driving along, and then all of a sudden you're like, wow, where did that reaction come from? Well, actually, I don't have that reflective response right away. I usually just get angry, and then I realize well, I haven't had enough sleep. I've just been really angry, and I, I just I kind of lose it. Or, or something else happens that triggers these anger responses. A lot of us carry a lot of hostility today, and we don't realize how much there is. But in Christ, there is a new ethic. There is a new dynamic. The hostility has been brought down. I'd like to show a video today um, to talk about this. And this video was the one I showed about two years ago. So some, for some of you, it'll be a rehash of that. But I, I couldn't stop thinking about it because in light of Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, which is coming up, and because this deals so directly with the passage, I thought it fit perfectly. But as you listen and you watch this video today, I want you to pay attention to how hostility changes with these people who are featured in this story of two people finding reconciliation. This week with a lesson in forgiveness from Steve Hartman on the road. It all went down on this block in Benton Harbor, Michigan. Back in 05, Jamel McGee says he was minding his own business when a police officer accused him of and arrested him for dealing drugs. You're saying the officer made it up? Yeah, it was all made up. Of course, a lot of accused men make that claim, but not many arresting officers agree. So you phonied the report? I did. I falsified the report. This is former Benton Harbor police officer Andrew Collins. Were you just trying to chalk up an arrest? Well, basically, the start of that day, I was going to make sure I had another drug arrest. And in the end, you put an innocent guy in jail. Correct. You lost everything. I lost everything. My only goal was to seek him when I got home and to hurt him. Really? That was my goal. Eventually, that crooked cop was caught, served a year and a half for falsifying many police reports planting drugs, and stealing. Of course, Jamel was exonerated, but he still spent four years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Today, both men are back here in Benton Harbor, which is a small town. Maybe a little too small. Hey, guys, thank you. Last year, by sheer coincidence, they both ended up at Mosaic, a faith-based employment agency where they now work side-by-side 
in the same cafe. Oh, excuse me. And it was in these cramped quarters that the bad cop and the wrongfully accused had no choice but to have it out. I said, honestly, I have no explanation. All I can do is say I'm sorry. And Jamel says that was all it took. That was pretty much what I needed to hear. Today, they're not only cordial. Saturday, we went to the trampoline park. They're friends. Uh, you know, we talk about life. Such close friends. Not long ago, Jamel actually told Andrew he loved him. And I just started weeping because he doesn't owe me that. I, he, I don't deserve that, you know? Did you forgive for his sake or for yours? No, for our sake. Not just us, for our sake. Jamel went on to tell me about his Christian faith and his hope for a kinder <laughs> mankind. He wants to be an example. So now he and Andrew give speeches together about the importance of forgiveness and redemption. Grab this one, set it over there. And clearly, if these two guys from the coffee shop can set aside their bitter grounds, what's our excuse? Oh, it's a great video. So, um... Obviously, I wanted to show that again because it fits so well into this idea of new humanity. But what you see happening with these two fellows is hostility was brought down. Now, what the news didn't go into detail was Jamel had a Christian faith. And this is our Christian faith. This is your Christian faith. This is my Christian faith. This is the hostility that Jesus himself put to death on the cross. He put to death this hostility for Jews and Gentiles, but he is still putting to death hostility in your life and my life today. The new ethic that has taken place in the Christian story is love. Now, for this, we have to journey outside of Ephesians 2 a little bit to Ephesians 3, okay? So there is a prayer that Paul gives, and he says this, I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and how high and deep is the love of Christ and to, be, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This type of love that is so deep and so wide that you can't, just grasp it intellectually or rationally, it moves you into a new human type of existence. This is what the cross does for you and me. This is what new humanity is all about. So as we journey from here, this is uh, where the, the next line of thought is, is how might Christ take care of the hostility that may reside in your heart toward another person, toward a type of people, to a group of people. How might that be what the Spirit does in your life this year? So here are some conversation questions. Wow, I didn't realize. Sorry, that's a little bit small, so you may need to just take a picture of that and expand that later. But here are a few things. What are your tendencies in dealing with difficult relationships? And how might a stronger identity in Christ help you more uh, find more peace in your relationships? 
And do you struggle with hostility? That's, that's a, <laughs> you know, you've got to be answering, answering that one honestly. But how do you typically deal with times when you get upset at others? And how might faith in Christ lead you to greater love and forgiveness? There's one more word of challenge I wanted to give you today, and I forgot to make a slide for that. I just made this right at the end. It's a challenge. So next weekend is Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. We celebrate a great hero of the faith who went before us, who talked about peace, who really paved the way for many of us minorities to be able to enjoy the freedoms that we have today. But... Um, Here's, here's the thing. Next weekend, I've invited my friend, uh, uh, Pastor Rodney from Dallas, to come speak. So I hope you guys can come be here on time. He was my partner for Sankofa, that civil rights bus journey that I took that I've been telling you about. He's going to share about his journey with that uh, trip. Uh, so I hope you can come support that. But the other thing that I, I'm going to challenge you to do before you get to next weekend, or maybe during next weekend, is to rent this movie. It's called Selma. It's about the Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Uh, experience uh, marching in Selma, Alabama. And you can do this as an individual. Just go to Amazon and rent it. Or you can do it as a small group. You can do it as a household or a family. Watch the movie. Now, I'm going to send out an email later on, either today or tomorrow, that will have some discussion questions for you. Or, um, you know, you guys are brilliant people. You could make your own discussion questions too. But the whole, the whole point is this. We want to begin to celebrate these things a little bit more um, intentionally as we move into a church that unites diverse people. Because here is one of the heroes of our faith who went and took this journey. on Has anyone actually seen the movie already? Maybe some of you already have. Oh, not too many. Okay, so this is going to be a good challenge for you. Do this. Rent the movie. I just want to say, I guarantee you're going you're gonna to like it. You're going to enjoy it. If you don't, well, <laughs> I don't know. I was going to guarantee you. I'll, I'll reimburse you even. if you Just get the movie, watch it, make sure you do it, okay? So this is uh, a big challenge. Anyways, well, let's, let's give thanks to God, and let's give thanks to Christ who has put down this dividing wall of hostility who has given us this new way of being human. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for your great love for us that has sent Jesus to die for our sins, to take it to the cross, and in that way to dispel and to get rid of the hostility that exists between us. So let's go forth from this place as new humans people who live by your way. Lead us and guide us in the days and the weeks and the months to come to be truly living fully into your life. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.